0: Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Well, we are in Luke chapter 15 title of the story is the story of the incredible, gracious Father. And we started in this chapter last Sunday by reading the first two parables in a trilogy of parables. The first was about a shepherd that lost one of his 100 sheep. He left the 99 and pursued the one. He found it, he rescued it, he carried it home. Then he called his friends and neighbors to celebrate the return of the sheep. The second parable was about a woman who lost a valuable and symbolically important coin. Likely her wedding dowry and like the shepherd, she laid aside everything else she was doing to pursue what was lost and when it was found, she called her friends and neighbors to celebrate with her. And we called this first parable, this parable of the lost sheep and the second parable, the parable of the lost coin. And as I reflected on last week's message, I have some regrets. Namely, that I referred to these parables by those titles because what I've tried to communicate to all of us these past 15 years is that God is the hero of the Bible, isn't He? This is His story, the revelation by Him to us. He reveals His character, His attributes, and His plans in the Word. So, to refer to these stories as parables about sheep or coins really misses the entire point. Uh, so, there's, those parables could more accurately have been called the persistent shepherd or the parable of the tenacious housewife. Well I'm here to correct my mistake this morning so the title of the parable that Rob just read I'm calling the story of the incredibly gracious father though you've probably heard it called something else. For most of you it will be a very familiar story you've likely heard many sermons from this text but I hope you won't tune out. We have over 40 different parables of the Lord Jesus recorded in the New Testament but there is something special and unique and different that makes this particular one stands out. It's sort of like certain movies that you've watched a dozen times, but if you're flipping through the television channels late at night and you happen to land on that movie, you'll stop and watch it every time, even though you know every word of the dialogue. And not only do you stop and watch it, you call your best friend on the telephone who loves the movie as much as you do and says, hey, it's on. So let's watch the story unfold one more time. Now, the first thing you'll notice is that Jesus had a reason for placing this story last in the series of three. Now, all three parables answer the same question. The question is what makes heaven happy? And the stories were intended to show that the Pharisees, even though they often talked about God and even believed they loved God, really didn't know God because they didn't know or understand what made him rejoice. We said last week, like all legalists, the Pharisees thought that what makes heaven happy is reformation. That is when sinners attempt to stop sinning. But what really makes heaven happy is when what is lost is found. So, Jesus starts with a story about something lost that has some value, a sheep. And he proceeds to something that has more value, a wedding dowry. And he ends up this morning talking about something whose value is. Whose Is indescribable, and that is a lost son. And so, let's look at this story in three acts. Act 1, beginning in verse 11 is the rebellion. Look at it. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So, he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now it is next to impossible for me to convey to you how revolting this story would have been to Jesus' audience, the Pharisees. Their entire society was built around the concepts of honor and shame. And so throughout their life they sought to avoid anyone and anything that was deemed shameful and they attempted to attach themselves to that which would give them and show them honor. And so this story is about an incredibly shameful act by the younger son of a state owner. Here, here's the story in summary. It's very short, very poignant. Man had two sons. He was the owner of a, a large estate, apparently. And the younger son went to the father and he said, Hey, dad, um, is it true that when you die, I'm going to get a share of everything you have? And he says, Well, that's true, son. He says, Well, I can't wait until then. I can't wait until you die. I want my share of the inheritance while I'm young, so that I can enjoy it. Now the Pharisees would have been outraged by that, and rightly so. This is anything but honor in the Bible. In fact, the law which the Pharisees studied day and night, Ten Commandments, one of them is honor your father and mother. How insulting for a son to ask his father for his inheritance before his father died. But here's the amazing part of the story. Did you know in that culture, If a son was that dishonoring to a father, legally that son could be put to death. But rather than putting the son to death, the father graciously does what the son requests. He gives him his part of the estate. Now wealth in those days was generally held in livestock and real estate. And so it had taken the father likely a lifetime of hard work and sacrifice to accumulate his estate. But his son takes his portion. Scripture says he he put everything together. Now, I take from that he liquidated it. He didn't have any sentimental value in in these animals or this land that his father worked so hard for. And and so he probably took pennies on the dollar just to liquidate it right away. And, And then he took it and he went into a distant land. Now, that would be the second thing that would have shocked the Pharisees. What he's saying is he went off to live with and like the Gentiles, We know that because of the job he takes, working with swine. Well, to his surprise, the young man that is, the money didn't last as long as he thought. Money's like that, isn't it? He burns through it, hanging out with the party crowd, and before you know it, he's broke. And on top of that, there's an economic recession. So he finds himself in a foreign land, penniless, friendless, hopeless, having burned every bridge back home that he ever crossed. Come to verse 14. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything to eat. Here he is, lost in a foreign land, far from home, nothing to eat, living among pigs who are better off than he is. And if you've ever wondered what rock bottom looks like, here it is. This young man's feet were touching it. This is the rebellion, and this is rebellion's results. That's Act 1. Let's look at Act 2, the story of the return, verse 17. But... When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. Now, generally when kids say I'm dying of hunger, that's an exaggeration. That means they haven't eaten in 45 minutes. This young man literally was dying of hunger. Now, here's where we have to be careful with this story. If we're not careful, we will at this point congratulate the son for coming to his senses. But you need to understand that he did not come to his senses until he had exhausted every other option. He was going to starve to death if he didn't get back to his father's house soon, and so he exercised the only choice he had. So he puts together a little speech that I'm sure he rehearsed a thousand times all the way back home. It goes like this, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And I bet he muttered it under his breath all the way home, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And so he got up and came to his father. But remember, I said this story is not the story of the son. This is the story of an incredibly gracious father. Now, we often, as pastors, like to say that the main point of this story is the repentance of the son. But wait a second the father pursued the son before his repentance was ever articulated look at the next verse he said but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him the son had not opened his mouth yet and and just like the previous two parables you remember the pattern something valuable is lost a sheep a coin and now a son And here Jesus brings us through that progression from a smelly sheep to a piece of wedding jewelry and now something that is invaluable, a child. The father pursued the son while he was still a long way off, the scripture says. I take it that the father had been looking down the road for that son every day since he left. And so, yes, the son finally gave his little pathetic speech after the father embraced him, verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is repentance. Repentance is a requirement for sonship. Remember that Jesus and John the Baptist preached the same sermon over and over. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But understand that when we repent... Just know that repentance is a gift from God just as surely as faith is. The Apostle Paul said in the book of Ephesians that salvation is by grace through faith and that is a gift. Faith is a gift. And the faith to believe and repent also is a gift. It's not of our own volition. Now, that's act two. Finally, we come to act three and and the response and we have two very different responses to the son's return home. The first is by the father. It's in verse 22. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he's been found. And they began to celebrate. Now this is the same response as the shepherd when the lost sheep was found and returned. It's it's the same response of the housewife when the coin was found and returned. They threw a party. There was a celebration, all the neighbors and friends were invited, but there was one who didn't come, the brother. Look at verse 25, his response. Now his older son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry was not willing to join in and his father came out and began pleading with him. Now at first blush you might have sympathy for the older brother. Until you remember the point of the story that Jesus was telling is to point out that the Pharisees, who are the older brother in this story incidentally, their heart was far from God's, just as the older son's heart was far from the Father's heart. Now obviously the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son represent the publicans, the sinners, the prostitutes that were coming to Jesus and being received by Him. Now these people were obviously lost, and their desperation for Jesus caused him to receive their repentance, and, and he fellowship with them. He valued them, and He brought them close. These people were desperate for a savior, not so the Pharisees. They had no desperation for the salvation that Jesus offered. Uh, They made excuses, remember. They had more important things to attend to like buying a piece of land or testing a team of oxen or marrying a wife. So they had turned down the invitation. This older brother was put out by the father's forgiveness. Is just like the Pharisees who were put out As they said in the previous chapter, that this man receiveth sinners and eats with them. Jesus had a unique ability to distill very complicated and nuanced circumstances into two clear categories. When he spoke of the coming judgment, he says there's going to be sheep and there's going to be goats, there's going to be a division. He says there will be those who are lost and those who are saved. He says there are sons of God and sons of the devil. And so here we have once again in this most famous parable two categories of people pictured in the story and they are sinners and the sanctimonious. Remember that that was the designation that the Pharisees gave to the publicans and prostitutes, these sinners. The younger son was in that category, he was a sinner. He, he knew that he had blown it. In fact, he confessed it. He said, I have sinned, and I am unworthy to be called your son. But here's what's interesting about this story, don't miss this. The father did not disagree with the son. When the son said, I have sinned, I'm not worthy to be called your son, the father didn't say, oh yes you are. He didn't disagree with him at all, he just embraced him. And hear this, Jesus never underplays how sinful we are. He agrees with us. Charles Spurgeon, that great pastor from old, said to a group of pastors who were thin-skinned, people would uh, disagree with their sermons or write them um, unsigned notes on Monday morning. And they were angry about it. And this was his advice to those preachers. He says, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. (laughs) And that's true of all of us. But one who is saved is a sinner who recognizes that to be the truth. And he agrees with God's assessment of himself, and he turns from those sins. And on the other hand, you have the Pharisees who were sanctimonious, And that's a fancy word that simply means making a show of being morally superior to others. And that's exactly what they do in verse 29. Look at it. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I've never neglected a commandment of yours. Do you believe that's true? Do any of you have a child who has never neglected a commandment from you? This is a grown man. He knows that's not true. And then he says something outrageous, and yet you've never given me a young goat so that I can celebrate with my friends. You understand this is a grown man who has been living under his father's table all of his life. You haven't given me a young goat? How many wonderful meals has he enjoyed for free in that household? But when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Now, Jesus said that he came to, sick, to seek and to save that which is lost sinners. But he said to the Pharisees that the well need not a physician. Now, he knew that they needed their sins forgiven. He knew they also were sinners, but they didn't know that. What he's saying is until you see yourself as God sees you, you cannot and you will not be saved that is you will forever be left outside of the celebration just like this older brother that's a pretty good story isn't it in fact it may be as i said last week the greatest story in all of world literature but every great story needs an ending doesn't it but unlike any other parable that jesus told in the new testament the tension in this story is left unresolved. Look at verse 31. He said to him, this is the father to the older son, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Fade to black. We're not told if the older brother ever came into the banquet. Now, we know from history that a few of the Pharisees were saved. Men like Nicodemus and the Apostle Paul, likely others. But every one of those Pharisees that were saved had to come the way of humility. They had to realize that their righteousness, as Paul said, was as filthy rags to God. Here's the point. No one including the Pharisees, including lifelong Southern Baptists, gets to heaven on personal merit. So what shall we do with this message? Now, You've probably heard many sermons on this text, and and typically what pastors will do at this point, and I've done it, is I'll call for the congregation to pray and not to give up on the prodigal children in your life. Many of you have children, grandchildren, spouses that are far from the Lord. You've prayed for many years for their salvation. That's good. That's appropriate application of this text and we're going to take some time to do that in a moment. Another way that we tend to close this message is is to call the lost to repentance. Maybe you're that prodigal. Maybe you're that self-righteous Pharisee. In either case you need Jesus and so come to, to, to faith in Christ and We always give that invitation here, and we'll do so today. But before we go, I want to talk to the church this morning, that is, saved people, those who have experienced the grace of God and have been living in that grace, in many cases for decades. You remember that these three parables all answer the same question, which is, what makes heaven happy? And he answers that question in in three verses. Verses 7 ten and thirty-two. And so he says in verse seven, I tell you in the same way that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety nine righteous person who needs no repentance. Verse ten he says, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse uh, thirty two, but he had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost, and has been found. What makes heaven happy? is when what is lost is found. And he's not talking about sheep, as we said. He's not talking about jewelry. He's talking about souls. And so let me cut right down to the bone. I have a friend, Stephen Smith, who's a pastor in Little Rock. Stephen has a sermon he preaches on this text. In fact, he has preached it here. And I suppose it is the closest thing to a perfect sermon that I have ever heard. I use it to teach my interns how to preach. In fact, I was tempted this morning just to get a recording of it and hit play and sit on the front row. But what I remember most about that sermon is a statement he makes in the conclusion, and he says this, he said, Christian, you are as Christ-like as the degree to which you are seeking the lost. You are as Christ-like to the degree that you are seeking the lost. And when he said that, it was like a judo kick to my sternum. Because sometimes we think our activities make us like Christ, even good activities. And because here's what I had to say about my own assessment at that point. I was fine when lost people came to hear me preach. Lost person wanted to come and hear the gospel, I was all for that. But you know what? That made me no different than the Pharisees. The Pharisees loved for people to come hear them teach. In fact, I was glad to answer the theological questions of an atheist. But I had to remember that the Pharisees also loved to answer theological questions. What was different between the Pharisees and Jesus is that Jesus was seeking the lost, they were resisting the lost. And so I had to ask a couple of questions, am I seeking the lost like Jesus? And when they are found, do I rejoice like Jesus does when one lost soul is found? Now friends, we've scheduled a revival meeting starting two weeks from today. And one of our own members, John Moore will be preaching And we've been calling on you to pray and fast and beg the Lord Jesus to pour out His Spirit upon us during that meeting. Last Monday I asked Brother John, how will we know if revival comes? Because Brother John has experienced revival in his life. And he said, you'll know it when you see it. But here are some things that I've been praying for that I think will be the evidence of revival in our church. Number one is reconciled relationships. Husbands to wives, wives to husband, children to parents. We're in need of that here. I've asked the Lord for salvations of, of those ones that we have been praying for. Hope you have the name of your one in your Bible. and We're praying that the Lord would save many of those ones. But here's what I'm praying for in my own life. That... I will more and more love what God loves. That the degree to which I am Christ-like will be manifest that I am seeking the lost like Jesus did. And when they are saved, I pray that it will bring more joy to my life than any earthly thing. In short, what I'm praying for is that I and this church will indeed have the heart of the Father. That's what I'm praying for, and I'm asking you to join me in that prayer. I mean now. <laughs> and so let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes, and let's just quietly reflect upon the message today and upon the Word, and just ask the Holy Spirit to point out to you, Christian brother or sister, how He would have you changed because of. Now, Father, we ask you to search our hearts today. Lord, with 2,000 years of history between this story and our own time, it's very easy to point fingers at the Pharisees, to make light of them. And yet, Father, um, I see some of myself in them. A desire to be the teacher rather than to be taught. and Father, I'm reminded that the only way to heaven is the Jesus way, which is through contrition and humility, repentance of sins. Father, we live in a community that though it is known to be in the buckle of the Bible belt, Lord, we know the reality is we are surrounded by lost people every day. Father, our primary task is that of Jesus, which is to seek the lost. So Father, I pray you'd give us a great burden for this community. Lord, I pray not just generically this community, but my neighbor, my family members that are lost. Father, I pray for their salvation. And I pray, Father, that this church and its pastor would take more joy in the salvation of one lost soul than anything this earth has to offer that we would deem as good. Father, I pray you change me. I pray you'd change our body that we would be nearer to your heart than ever before. And I pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast.